welcome to Modern Anarchy, the podcast featuring real conversations with conscious objectors to the status quo. I'm your host, Nicole. On today's episode, we have Kelly Gordon join us for a conversation all about prioritizing our pleasure. Together, we talk about remembering the historical context of women's sexuality, healing our inner child, and letting go of perfectionism. Y'all, just hearing Kelly talk about their passion, it is alive and vibrant in their voice. You can hear it. And anytime that I get to hold space for someone to talk about what they are passionate about and hoping to see change in the world, oof, that is a very special container. And I am so happy to share it with you, dear listener. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Modern Anarchy and joining the larger global Modern Anarchy family that is tuning in each Wednesday. So with that, I really enjoyed this conversation with Kelly because we talked about the ways in which our ability to ask and communicate for our needs directly plays into our pleasure. Y'all, if you can't ask one of your partners to mow the lawn or to pick up that towel or spend more time checking in and asking you questions about your day, whatever it might be, if that's hard, Ooh, I am gonna imagine, I can't know the future, certainly, but I might predict that it's really hard to go then into the bedroom or the dungeon, right, or the play space, wherever you enjoy your fun, and ask that same partner to massage your genitals in a certain way with a certain speed and at a certain frequency, right? Like, if we can't have those other conversations in our lives about what we want, need, and desire, then oof, you know, our pleasure is at stake there. We need to learn that it's not wrong to take up space and to ask for what we need and then to also do that for our partners. If I could impart anything, and and myself included in this, y'all, I'm having a hard time, especially like, you know, as a therapist, I hold lots of space, lots of space, lots of space. And then for me to come to my partners, my friends, my people, and to ask them to hold space to me has felt radically uncomfortable because it's just a different shift from what I'm doing. And we all deserve to take up space for what we need and what we want and how deeply that is connected to our ability to enjoy pleasure. Y'all, we're going to keep talking about this. I'm happy you're here. We'll keep growing together. We'll keep expanding together and we will keep having these juicy, juicy conversations. I hope that all of you enjoy today's episode and tune in. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The first question I would want to ask is, how would you introduce yourself to the listeners? So my name's Kelly Gordon. I am a disabled entrepreneur, I suppose, from Birmingham in England, which you can probably tell by the accent. 
I work as creative director at Hot Octopus, which is a sex tech company. We are international and I am the co-founder and co-owner of With Not For, which is a recruitment company that's targeted specifically towards representing disabled talent. Mm-hmm. Um, so we represent them in uh, all of their work, but mainly the creative industries, mainstream media and advertising as well. So jack of all trades, uh, mom of two as well. I've got two boys. <laughs> And a partner, we're getting married this year. Oh, congrats. In, in like three weeks. So, wow. <laughs> so exciting. Yeah. <laughs> so lots going on. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you're an entrepreneur, this hot octopus. I'm curious what that is. What is that entailing? Yeah, so Hot Octopus is a sex tech brand. Uh, like I said, we're global and we think about sex we basically invent sex toys i love it we call them sex tech because there's a bit of like a technology element as well one of our our toys is like really really interactive and works with apps and works with pairing with the partner's toy and it's very very cool and we have loads of tech that we've developed ourselves so we have pulse plate technology which is it was based around medical technology and it can actually bring penis owners to ejaculate or bring them to orgasm from flaccid as well as erect. So it's like, that's our bestseller, of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we have another really cool technology called treble and bass as well. And that's like fully customizable. And it's like based on the vibrations of music. So the treble is like the high rumbly vibes, at, sorry, the high frequency vibes. And then the bass is the low rumbly vibes and you can like make your own combo. So yeah, very popular also. <laughs> wow. I'm like, where can I get one? <laughs> I would love to try. <laughs> so are you saying that like it compared to music? Uh, no, no, sorry. It doesn't pair to music, but it uses the same principles. So like, you know, like the treble is more high pitch and the bass yeah. is more low company. Yeah. There's over a hundred combinations that you can do with the toy to make make your own music, basically. Yes, <laughs> with your own body and your own pleasure. That's so neat. Yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> How did you get into this? This is, I'm sure you didn't wake up and telling your parents, you know, like, I'm going to make sex toys right like how did you get here <laughs> I definitely not so basically I got into it quite naturally um I've always been like really into sex and sexuality mm-hmm. like a young age to the point where I was I was really curious about about sex and how like relationships and sex work and how to be attractive to people and how to like you know respond people and stuff so that led to me having quite a interest in sex life from you know quite a young age probably a bit younger than I should have and then my family were really prudish about sex mm-hmm. uh, but obviously rise of the internet and people being curious I got asked to write quite a lot of pieces around disability and sex I focused on mainly like kind of warning people mm-hmm. really dangerous stuff and you probably shouldn't do that um and one of the articles I wrote was for the company that I'm creative director for now and we just got talking around like inclusivity and like how the brand could really focus on those pillars so then I became head of inclusivity at the brand and then 
shortly after that, I just thought, like, I'm a super nosy person. I, I have to be involved with everything. <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, Penny, you really like you really know what you're doing with the, the future direction of this brand. So how do you fancy uh, a promotion? So yeah, I was I was super keen. And now now I'm kind of at the forefront of the brand, really. I'm taking us to events everywhere, getting the word out there. We just ran a really amazing photo shoot where we featured like all kinds of sexuality, all kinds of bodies, all kinds of abilities, and just like I'm just so proud of the work we're doing. I could talk about it all day. (laughs) You should. And I'm happy to hold that space to talk about it because I think that's a conversation that is not had enough. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What would you want to say about that to the world? Well, God, that's like a big question. I think it's, yeah, it's just super important for the world to know and to kind of think about, I guess, that everybody deserves the right to pleasure. Um, no yes. matter what, you know, no matter what your body could do, no matter what it looks like, no matter who you are as a person, everyone deserves their own pleasure uh, and to be able to explore that. So I think you know, the more we open up these conversations about that, the better because people are going to start feeling more comfortable and they're going to start to explore themselves. You know, to so many people throughout working at the company we did a self-love event um in partnership with somebody that we work with and i had a lot of the vulva owners coming up to me and saying i've never even masturbated before Mm. um and the and they were they were much older as well they were you know they were sort of it was all around menopause as well so they were that kind of age group Mm. and it it was quite surprising but i do think we've come a long way in terms of like talking about sexual wellness now openly um but yeah there's so much for people to explore when they start opening their minds yeah wow that that breaks my heart truly to think that there are people who have never masturbated I know there's so much stigma with that but at the end of the day what we're talking about is pleasure in our bodies the ability to feel good in your body with the natural body you have and so the idea that someone has never explored that and explore all the pleasure that is possible with that that breaks my heart. Yeah, I know. It is. It, like you say, there is a lot of stigma attached to it as well. So that's partly um, why. But um, also, like, some of the, these people were in long-term ma- marriages and relationships where that was, like, in, like, a no-go zone. Like, people, I've heard people say before that, like, masturbation is cheating and all that kind of thing. And then there's that. I think there's that like heteronormative view, which is like a penis in vagina sex is like the main thing. And, and that should be enough for everyone. There's just, just so many things tied to it. So I don't understand their position, but at the same time, yeah, I feel like I'm glad that I could give them some sex toys on the day. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We have a whole new future. I mean, yeah, it's, it's wild to think that touching my body is cheating. Like yeah. touching my body, no one else's, my body, my pleasure, my body is cheating. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And like, and it just says, it just, I don't know. I think it's a thing as well. Like some people worry about their partners watching porn, don't they? And what they're thinking about and what, what they're doing. And it's like that, for me, that's, that's quite jarring. Cause it's like, you can't control somebody else's mind. <laughs> 
And, you know, you've got to have some freedom as it's just kind of suffocating, you know? Yeah. Yes. A hundred percent. I think that's where I get sad too. Cause I'm like, there's an ability to see beauty in the world and to enjoy that. Whether you choose to actually have that as a fantasy that you watch through porn or do in your real life as a choice, right? But like to try and cut off our natural ability to see beauty and eroticism in other people. Yeah. I don't know about that one. I don't know. <laughs> I agree. I agree. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting. I was just editing an episode that came out for today and I was looking at the research, at least in the States, that marital rape was not a thing until 1976 in the United States. So up until that point, every state allowed a husband to rape his wife with no consequences. So that wasn't even 50 years ago. So I think when we're thinking about older generations who someone who's never masturbated before, we have to remember the framework of 50 years ago. It was legal for a husband to rape his wife. And I think that comes into the whole context of women being property and how so many women have been disconnected from their sexual power because of things like this. Yeah, definitely. That's that's when you put it like that. Wow. It's just. 50 years is no time and that and it shouldn't ever have been the case but you know it's it seems so so recent and that's just that's frightening I know I know I know when I put it like that sometimes I forget like yeah like 50 years ago that wasn't that long Yeah. yeah wow I know you said that when you were writing you talked about some dangerous stuff I'm curious what's What's the danger? I'm not quite used to giving a little note. I know. I'm like, hmm, what is this? <laughs> curious. Um, yeah. So basically, like, like I said, I was I was definitely younger than I should have been. I was meeting people online. So I was like, I grew up when we had like dial-up internet and AOL chat, and like that was my favorite era. I guess. Um and. I would like chat to all kinds of people like from everywhere and, mm-hmm. and like it wasn't how it is now when you can just jump on a Zoom or go on a like send a camera picture off your phone or whatever. Like I have no idea realistically who these people were. I actually remember like one time uh, somebody sent me a picture of Little Bow Wow and they were pretending to be oh, there. Yeah. But it's like Come on, but I'm not that, like, you know, I might be young, but I'm not that young. Come on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I was meeting these people, like, obviously didn't really know, like, who they were. I got to know them and, like, got really deep connections with people, but, like, then met them. Um, then more recently when I was, I was growing up a little and I met, I met with someone I'd met online. Uh, I was driving then, so I, I drove to meet them at the train station and then we just had, we had nothing planned really, everybody just sort of drive around and just whatever. So we went to like a supermarket and got some like alcohol and then just pulled over at the side of the road and started drinking and we had sex and I was out of my wheelchair in the back of the car and I can't get back in my wheelchair once I'm out of my wheelchair. So this guy could have been, like, literally that was the first time I met him. He could have been anyone and he didn't have, like, we were in such a, I literally drove us to a secluded place. Yeah. I I could have driven myself there, like, and he could have done anything. And I think at that age, I just wasn't thinking about it or I didn't have the right priority. 
terms of my safety. And yeah, that was that. That's really one that kind of sticks in my head because it wasn't like I had a phone nearby that I could have called, like emergency, or I was just on the floor, like literally on the floor. So yeah, that was probably the main dangerous one I could think of. Yeah, yeah, that safety of what could have happened. Yeah, and then I think it is with any wheelchair user that's kind of in my boat where they're, you know, their condition's kind of progressive or like dependent on the day or whatever. It's always a risk going to a hotel for a hookup because you have to depend on them to almost get you onto the bed, which Mm. most people are very willing to do because they want you on that bed. And it comes to when you're ready to get off, then that's not your choice anymore. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying that all people are like this by any means. Um, and I've always had good experiences, but it was always like the what ifs. And I think mm-hmm. when I putting it down on paper is when I realized, actually, that was that was not good. That like that could have ended badly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Putting a lot of trust in that other person to be respectful. Yeah, for sure and like I think like back then as well like consent wasn't a huge conversation like that like yeah it was just probably quite problematic and I didn't realize <laughs> sure but did you have fun though <laughs> definitely <laughs> that's the thing as well because of all that like life experience that's kind of made me who I am and that's like really influenced the way that I communicate with people and the things that I know and you know, I wouldn't change it, but it's just in hindsight, I probably shouldn't have done it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that lived experience is some of the best teachers, right? Because then you're able to know, like, I've lived this, I've walked this, I know what this is. So don't make the mistakes that I make people, right? Yeah, basically, yeah, I can one of those, but yeah, I did it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. What would you say to the person who is in that same boat? Like if you were to talk to your younger self? What would you have wanted to know at that time? I think to talk to my younger self, I definitely would have focused on my own pleasure more. <laughs> you know, there's so much pressure, I think, especially on like vulva owners when we're growing up to like just enjoy penis and vagina sex, like in a hetero relationship. And that, you know, and, and that you're there for them basically. And I was always like a people pleaser in that way. I never really thought about like, what was comfortable for me, what was like pleasurable for me even. Yeah, I think I'd probably give that kind of advice and say, you know, think about that more and actually like, do you want to do this or do you want to do this but in a different way? Mm. Why don't you teach that person actually how to pleasure you instead of just faking an orgasm? (laughs) Yes, we're done with that, people, right? We are done with faking orgasms, please. Yeah, definitely. So I think that that would be my main advice, just to to speak, you know, speak your own truth about the whole situation and and just prioritize your own pleasure. Obviously, it's it's great to make someone else feel great, and and you should you should definitely do that if you're keen to do that for somebody. But at the same time, think about yourself and what you're getting out of the situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes me want to ask, like. Where do you think that sense of like, I have to give this to someone came from for you? That is such a good question. I'm just, I'm so competitive. Um, My family have always been quite competitive. My dad was a professional footballer in the UK and 
we've always been a super sporty family, which is really weird having two disabled kids and be, well, they've got three kids, but uh, two of us are disabled uh, and be a sporty family. Uh, after he was a footballer, he was really successful in business. So I think there's that kind of like always that drive to like succeed, to please, to yeah. the best at whatever you did. I think definitely when I was younger and growing up, like I was also really keen to prove that I was attractive as a wheelchair user like there wasn't any kind of disabled celebrities there wasn't any disabled porn stars that I know of that had a visible disability you know there wasn't any representation that said you know what disabled people are actually attractive and <laughs> there's such thing as interable relationships I did I like I didn't know any of this like I was the only disabled person that I knew apart from my own brother so I was kind of well, where do I fit in like all of this? Like, I think because I went to mainstream schools and I wasn't exposed to disability, I almost thought like, well, I'm not disabled. I don't want to be disabled. Like there's nothing quote unquote wrong with me. Um, but that was such a naive view to have. And obviously now that I'm such a big part of the disabled community, I can see like what I've missed out on. But at the time you're just kind of trying to conform mm -hmm. and part of society whatever that might be so to me it was kind of like a score to to get with a, an able-bodied person and be attractive and like even like I'm ashamed to say this now at my age because it, it feels horrible but even to like cheat with somebody else's partner made me feel good and like that that is a horrible thing to say I think um and I don't agree with that now I'm talking like teenage years but it made me think, okay, yeah, I've got like, I've got what you've got. Um, no. That is like a big confession. I don't think I've ever said that before. Mm. But I did think like, you know, look at what I can do. You're yes. without me. <laughs> no, that is. I think there's space to hold that nuance, right? Of like, yeah, that's not the ideal thing to do to other people. But given the context of where you were at and... It sounded like, you know, this was a moment to prove that like, yeah, I am sexy and I am attractive and people do want me. And yes, and that was so crucial for what was going on for you at the time. It was such a journey. I don't think I was a particularly nice person back then. Like, I think I've changed a hell of a lot, but I think it was such a journey for me. Yeah. Like, figuring out my own sexuality, figuring out what I actually wanted out of life. Like a lot of people doubted me in, in all kinds of ways because I wasn't particularly studious. I was more focused mm. on the social side of things. And I don't think any of my teachers or, or anyone thought that I would get very far in work as well. And wow. so just kind of figuring out that whole journey because, again, there was no representation. So I never saw a disabled person in a boardroom. I never right. saw, you know what I mean? So it was such a confusing time paired with the progressive disability that gets worse every year. You're like, oh, what's going to be happening next? What's going to be happening? You just never feel secure. Yeah. So I, I was just in pure rebel mode. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you hit on such an important piece, that representation of not seeing yourself in these various things, like in a boardroom. So how are you supposed to imagine that world when you can't see yourself in it? Exactly, exactly. And that's the thing now. That's why I started my company, because we represent disabled people yes. to get those positions. Because even when I was quite successful in my career and I was applying for like intercompany promotions, stuff like that, 
I always felt like they were never keen to go with me and probably for the same reasons, they probably thought, you know, there's this thing that comes with disability, this stigma that everybody can't handle stuff and we're vulnerable and we're, you know, we need to be talked down to or we need to be like explain things or we have a load of time off work or there's all these like stigmas that apply to that as well. So I think that that, that was a huge part in, mm. in those decisions for other people because there was no representation. So they didn't know there was no conversation around it. Uh, so instead of asking those uncomfortable questions, they made up their own mind and it wasn't the right answer. <laughs> yeah, there's so many assumptions there, so many deep assumptions. Definitely. Yeah, which is why it's so great that you're in this space, right? Challenging these, setting a new example for people. Yeah, definitely. Like we, like I was saying to you before we got on air about the films I did over the last two days, but all of them were with disabled people just talking about their experiences, and we recorded them all, and we're gonna sell them and um to an ad like to ad agencies to to have like a thought starter piece, which is you know this is what actual disabled people think. This is what they want to see in advertising. This is not like, because the trouble with that ad world is as like top advertisers, they're like, I'm going to put myself in the head of a disabled person and think what they would want. But you can't do that because you don't have that lived experience. So you're never going to get it right. So what we're trying to teach is that just ask people, just get us involved from the start. Just pay us for our time. We will help you. So yeah. We were just told like so many amazing stories over the last two days. Yeah. Is there any you'd want to share that like feels still like resonant with you and on your heart that you'd want to share in the podcast space? Oh my God. I won't name names just yeah. in case, but there was one person that I worked that we spoke to yesterday um, that said basically they knew deep down that their father never wanted them in his life because of their disability Um, because the way they were was sporty the way they were was like successful confident and they didn't ever see disability so they didn't understand that those two could coexist so it it was like a broken relationship they said they were only there because they had to be there like they were reluctantly there Mm -hmm. and like wow sharing that I was just blown away by that comment in a way, it shows, I think, how far we've come as a society. Definitely got a long way to go. But thinking about that person and their age, they were probably around my age, which is like 34, maybe a little older than me. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, just thinking about them growing up in that mm-hmm. time and how kids grow up now. I think the one good thing about social media and like TikTok and things like that is that there, there's so many outlets for people to to show what kind of person they are and, and, you know, what they're going through. And it can be be relatable for so many people. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's obviously a lot of downsides to social media. but (laughs) Yes, as all things in life, right? Risks, benefits, you know, black, white, dark, light. You know, we got all both sides. But it's so true that it does provide that space for someone who doesn't see themselves represented, doesn't have community to know that there's other people out there. And oh, my my heart is breaking for that person that you mentioned and and feeling like they were unwanted. I mean, that is 
the hardest thing as a human, our needs for attachment, for love, to feel like we are unwanted for who we are. Yeah, I know. I know. It really did. And, and I, you know, I just thank everyone for being so honest in that experience because it just, it gives a deeper understanding to what we're trying to communicate. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. And all of this is so deeply connected then to pleasure, which is another area of immense taboo, right? Yeah, definitely. It is. just. <laughs> I don't even know where to begin on that, really. Um, yeah, go for it. Go for it. <laughs> there's just so many taboos are tied to pleasure. I think there's still quite... We, we're not all the way there. Um, no. Kink shaming, what kinks are seen as normal and like what what is abnormal, what's weird still. And it's like, when are we ever going to get to the point where we just say, you know what, you like what you like, as long as you're not hurting anyone, then, <laughs> unless they like it, you know. <laughs> then like, just just let people be and actually be interested in why they like the things that they like because I find it fascinating. <laughs> right? It's adult play. Yeah. I don't know why it has to be more complicated than that. It's adult play. You have consenting adults choosing to engage in fun activities together. Why do we have to be in such an uproar? Okay, exactly. So I still, like I say, I still think there's a lot that we can all do, but um, yeah, we're getting there slowly and surely, aren't we? Totally, totally. I came out in one of my uh, other episodes, like proudly proclaiming like kink as a part of my identity. And I think that's important because there is so much taboo and shame around these things, but it's a part of myself that I'm very proud of and I enjoy and it's very therapeutic for me. And I think, again, there needs to be more conversation about this. Definitely. And like, I've just found that, like, since I've been in my 30s, I think I've been so much more open to everything. I've been more open to, like, learning about myself and kind of giving myself what I need in terms of, like, therapy, relaxation, rest. Yeah. Boundaries. Like, boundaries are huge and I'm still working on it, but just saying no to things as well. Oh my God, it feels so good to say no to things sometimes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask as you were starting to say that, learning about yourself. I'm curious, like, what recent, you know, things have you been working on? What recent nuggets of wisdom have you come through in your age and your experience? Wow. Um, so I recently met someone at an, at an event. And they do a program all about healing the inner child. Love that. From the first point, like a lot of people, you know, that had inner child trauma from like growing up with their families mm-hmm. or like abuse in the home or like, I don't know, alcoholism, lots of issues. But for me, like what I found out from the first group was that I've got a wounded inner child from like feeling excluded as a kid mm-hmm. in mainstream schools and um, also like when I apparently, cause I have this issue sometimes where I'm really out there like, and I can talk and talk and talk and I can work really hard, yeah. but I go somewhere and I feel like there's no access or like I'm being, I'm kind of an afterthought in terms of my accessibility and I don't have the same standards as everybody else. I can kind of go into shutdown mode. And she said to me like that, that is from these experiences from when you were younger and you felt like 
you had to go and shut down because you were you didn't know how to deal with feeling like you've been left in the corner, mm-hmm. like you might left out and all your friends are running around on the playground or that's she said like that's followed you and like we're gonna work on that basically, which was fascinating to me. Because I just thought that I just had really up and down moods. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was formed on the day, but no, she she's assured me that that it's all, all stemming from that. So also like I think just supporting friends and stuff. Like one of my friends, she's a life coach and she needed mm-hmm. some people to work with her on like a study project. So I just let her use me as a case study for like four sessions and sure. You know, kind of thinking, I don't know what I'm going to get out of this. I feel like I know myself well. I feel like I know how I operate. And like, she completely flipped it on its head and made me think, oh, good idea. Okay, I need to say this to that person. And it's just great to hear another perspective from somebody else. Like, I'm not saying, you know, you have to pay a loan to expensive therapies or anything like that. I'm just saying, like, even talking to your friends, like super, super openly, like they might be able to give a different perspective to what you already know. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's the, like you said, perspective. We sometimes have blinders and sometimes it can be so hard to see your own stuff because we're we're too close in and we're so there. So having someone else from a different viewpoint who can look and see that can just point out the things because of their distance, because of that spacing, which is so great and yeah, I loved when you were talking about the inner child. I think that that can be such powerful work because like when you take a moment to close your eyes and see yourself as that younger child on the playground and really see that and connect to that memory, it's so much easier to have compassion for yourself, at least for me, right? Right now I'm like, you know, you can get on yourself like, why are you struggling with this or that? But when you see that child version of yourself, the compassion yeah. just naturally flows because you didn't know anybody any better. We were just little babes, you know? Yeah, it really puts it into perspective massively. So, but yeah, I've just been, I've just been exploring kind of all parts of myself. And also like a friend of mine, um, she's like a presenter and she does radio and stuff. And I just said to her, like, like I, I really want to like boost my confidence with this. Let's just do a session. So we just booked in this session and she like, got me recording myself loads of times and she was like um oh don't put your hands up as much don't do this don't do that and she she was brilliant and the thing that she said to me the most that, that really stuck with me and like it's helped me so much since that day and as it was only a few months ago I feel like I've come on loads since then yeah. is like you don't have to have it and it sounds like so simple but for me I was there's so much pressure on me like it's on myself not from anybody else it's always like, okay, you're the host of this thing. You need to hold it down at all times. You need to not forget this. Not that, like there was so much pressure. And then that would like make you like mentally freeze up or just either deliver it, but not in a way that you would if you could just be yourself and have your personality. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I do. Yes. <laughs> and take that deep breath and be your authentic self. I know that that pressure for perfection is so strong and definitely as someone who hosts a podcast it's something I've experienced too um and I definitely struggled with a lot of anxiety in my life and so anxiety perfectionism you put those two together and we have a tornado (laughs) of an experience when you try to be yourself but yeah I always try to put it in the frame of the reality that we're all social creatures right we all want connection 
one of the scariest things for us as social animals is to be isolated from the herd, right? And so when I am coming into a space doing this, if I'm not perfect, then maybe people won't like me. Maybe people will judge me. Maybe people will do all of those sorts of things. So it makes sense why it would be so scary, like even on an evolutionary sense, right? Of like, yeah, that'd be terrifying. And so having compassion for yourself and remembering that just like you have that, I have that. And every single other person has that. We're all in that same boat of being like, do people like me? Am I okay? Am I doing this right? And that's the normal experience. Yeah, that's so true. I didn't even think of it like that. But yeah, that's so true. Everybody probably feels exactly the same. <laughs> yes. I think that's some of the benefits sometimes of uh, being a doctoral student in clinical psych. Like when I'm in the therapy room with clients, like hearing these stories repeatedly of how everyone feels the same way. I just wish everyone had that same lens to see that and realize that like, yeah, you see people up there like presenting themselves on social media, showing up and doing these events. But what you don't see is the inner thoughts of, oh, no, like I too much hands here or I mumbled my word or all of these things that are normal thoughts that we have and we allow we have compassion and then we still do the things, you know. Exactly. You're so right. Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad that you're exploring that and coming into these pieces. I think that all of that is so crucial for pleasure, right? Like sometimes we only talk about the sexual pieces of it, but like having compassion for yourself, letting go of the perfectionism, all of that is deeply connected to our abilities to enjoy sex and to have pleasure too. Yeah, definitely. I just started like just being completely sometimes brutally honest. Yes. It's work for both. It was like I said, we're getting married. In three weeks. <laughs> and yeah, congrats again. If, you know, we're going to be together forever, hopefully. Yeah. And, you know, we need to get it right. We're both monogamous. You know, some people aren't, but we plan to be. So we've got to get this right. It's got to be what we have and what we enjoy because it's a big part of life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What does being more honest with your partner look like for you? Um, I think for us, it's so difficult because um, my work schedule is like wild. Uh, I have the two kids as well. So I think it's just making time for each other. Like every day we always make time for like intimacy in terms of like hugs and kisses and stuff. Yeah. Then I think it's just like we've, we've made a pact to be more regular with like our sex life because sometimes we will have a period where we can like do it loads all at once. And then just sometimes we can't even like get a, like timing for like two weeks or three weeks or something and like for me I like to have regular intimacy because mm -hmm. I feel like it really brings us closer together especially when it, it can be so hard with kids because you can just be kind of bombarded constantly and like they take up like not that you lose your identity some people do but um I think we're quite solid in our own identities but I think in that time that that they're awake if that makes sense you kind of become you're you're helping another person constantly so you kind of become mom and dad and you stay mom and dad for that period of time so it's really important I think that you connect still as those other people outside of those hours as well um, put this pack going to say okay this day is our least busy days let's try and at least hit it once a week on that particular day <laughs> Yes. And the beauty of that, the beauty of coming together to be intentional about that time, because 
like you said, there are other things going on that you have your focus to, that you're building beautiful things in your life with your children. And so to be able to have that intentional time where, yeah, this is the day we're going to focus on it and be with one another and have these experiences and being able to talk about that is really helpful. Yeah, definitely. And I think that like the best thing about my partner is like he's so, so open and yeah. so supportive. So like if I raise something that's like something I've been thinking about or like an issue or like even from this, but all the way down to like, I need you to mow the lawn more often. Like he's so receptive and he, he will make that change if he knows that I'm, you know, feeling some kind of way about something. So that's like the best thing I could say about him. Like he's he's so good at, at understanding and hearing me, understanding what I need. Probably I'm not as good the other way around. <laughs> I'm sure you are. I'm sure you're slow and listening. I'm good in other ways. I cook good meals. <laughs> well, yeah, it all balances out. It all balances out. <laughs> but again, like what I hear from that is like, the importance of being able to communicate comes into all of the areas, right? If my, it's my opinion that when you're in the room with your partner, if you can't communicate about your sexual pleasure and what you want and what you need, and like you said, teaching people how to pleasure you, then it's going to also feel uncomfortable to ask them to mow the lawn, right? Like those are wildly different things. These are talking about your needs, desires, and what makes you happy, right? And equally are going to be hard if you can't do one or the other that's so true and like the people like you know that are in the boat that you just said in terms of they they struggle to ask anything I've been in that boat in previous relationships before and you just really compromise your own self-care you compromise your own feelings you either like off overdo it yourself because somebody else is underdoing it and that can go from everything to intimacy to like mental load that you take on from from being in a partnership it's so important that it's a fair partnership and I think like my pact to myself probably before I got with my partner that I'm with now is that I would never be in that situation again and I was really doing all the heavy lifting and getting nothing back because what's the point I might as well be alone and do it you know right Right. And that's definitely something I've struggled with, too. And I think like when I look back on that time, it was almost like I'd be afraid that I was asking for too much. Yeah, definitely agree. Definitely agree. You know, I keep coming back to my disability, but I think it's so relevant. For example, um, I have to have help to get into my chair to go to the toilet and vice versa, like the other way around. So it might be like you'd hold it for longer because they were busy or like, you'd just been or like do you know what I mean it's like it should never be that way but I've been in that situation mm-hmm. times in the past where I've put my needs last just to make other people's lives easier yeah yeah I think what by what I was doing in the past you know it might make the short term easier or less stressful but then by proxy it was really making the long term like way harder yes <laughs> yes, yes and I hear you on that of the the added difficulty of that with a disability of the needs that you have in the relationship with your partner and how that could contribute to the I'm already asking for so much. Definitely. I do think there's something in it as well. I don't know why this just jumped into my, my mind, but I do feel like every sort of partnership I've had always become like super serious because of that. Mm-hmm. Like because you're bonded on such a deep level and you need that support. Like 
you get up close and personal with people straight away. And I think that that's not really something we do these days. Um, we all kind of, you know, play our cards close to our chest when it comes to relationships. We don't text back first. We don't, uh, you know, we don't say we love them. We don't, like, do you know what I mean? We have mm-hmm. all these kind of little games that we play, but with a disability, mm-hmm. that's not really possible because it's like, you know, I like you, but can you help me have a wee? <laughs> you know, I mean, there's no in-between. There's no middle ground. It's just very, very all or nothing with a disability. So I do feel that it kind of, it uh, makes relationships kind of come to fruition quite quickly and you do get so close to people. Mm. I mean, even like my PAs, like I have, I have like PAs to help me on a daily basis, especially when I'm traveling with work. Yeah. And I just went to London to do this shoot that I keep mentioning um, and I took a new one that I'd never met before apart from in a training session and we went and stayed together for, for three days. She supported me on this photo shoot because my partner was at home with the kids. Yeah. And that, but it has to support me. That means like uh, helping me get dressed, helping me go to the toilet, helping. And that, like, can you ever imagine doing that with somebody that you just met? It's just right. so, it's so strange when you put it into perspective. <laughs> it sounds very vulnerable. Can be. And, and it's, I think that's a big part of why I feel so exhausted sometimes when I've been working, because if I've been working away on a shoot like that, I'm almost disconnected from my own body because I have to be to kind of cope with that situation. Mm-hmm. And then I come back to life and I'm like, okay, I'm getting help from my partner again. I'm comfortable with this. I can get into the position that I normally like to sleep in. I can wear my clothes comfortably because we've had loads of practice. And like, that's like my comfort blanket. And then being away from that for like three days and having to compromise, like not through anybody else's fault. Like these people do amazing work, but it's just the fact of they haven't done it with me for years right. and years. So they don't know like the best methods or whatever. Yeah, last night I was really overwhelmed because of all of that and like feeling like, you know, you, you've switched your brain off in terms of your own body just, just to preserve and to be able to focus on your work is mm. just, I mean, I'm sure there's so many situations that people have that are similar in other industries and stuff and, and with other abilities, but I just, it just came to me then when you were speaking. Yes, because it's all a part of your experience and what makes your experience unique and the unique needs that you have and the unique ways that relationships are different, right? That, that time component of someone who understands exactly how you like to sleep in the bed and all of those pieces, that's so crucial. Yeah, yeah, definitely. definitely. Yeah, yeah. And so... It's been such a pleasure to talk to you about all of these things and to hold space for the nuance of this conversation because, again, I don't think that there is enough space for these conversations. Yeah, I, do. I also agree with you. I don't think that is. And I also don't think that, you know, people think in mainstream media, perhaps that people would be interested in these conversations. But in my, because they can be so graphic and they can be so personal, but in my mind, like, these are the kind of conversations we should be having because it tells you something deeper than how good somebody is at lip syncing a song on TikTok. <laughs> no. Like, no change to those people. But I feel like as a society, you're becoming super materialistic and we're becoming super, like, I don't even know what the right word is, just mm-hmm. but all in the way that we act with our relationships, with our lives, with everything. 
I think to understand people on a deeper level is like the route we should all be taking now. And especially after COVID, God, especially after COVID, getting mm. to know people again and feeling social again. And yeah, I'm I'm all for it anyway. Yes, yes. I think people are waking up. I think people are waking up slowly. I think the interest in vulnerability and authentic conversations is waking up for people. And we're starting to like, see that start to happen in society, which I'm all for, especially something like COVID, the shared trauma that we've all collectively gone through with our generation in this time. And yeah, I I just know that you have so much wisdom to share with the world. You said people might not want to hear these conversations, but at the same time, like you understand a level of vulnerability because of your lived experience that I don't understand. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It is true. Yeah, in different kinds of ways, and yeah, I'm sure it, it works the other way as well with your your own experiencing. But that's just the case, isn't it? Everybody's got their own, even if they've not had trauma. Everybody's got their own unique experience to talk about, and I just find it fascinating to hear about other people. Right. I always say to like my PAs as well. Like, um, it's quite funny. I'm quite a sad person. <laughs> What did you do when you got home? Like, I want to imagine, like, when you get home, like, what do you cook for dinner? What do you watch on TV? Like, what do you like doing? I just like to, to imagine people's lives without and think, what are they doing? What are they doing in their own house? It's fascinating. Totally, totally. What's the behind the scenes action? What's really happening? Yes, absolutely. And hopefully we'll get to that space, too, where, like, we can deconstruct the ideas of, like, the professional and the personal in some ways, because I think there's such a strong boundary at times, which is necessary to get work done. Don't don't get me wrong. But the reality is, like, we're all humans in this. And that doesn't go away from our experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Such a varied and interesting conversation. Yeah. I'm curious, as we come towards the end of our time, is there anything that you really wanted to talk about today going into the podcast that maybe we didn't hit on that you wanted to share with the world and no pressure I do have a closing question if that doesn't resonate and I feel like I feel like I'm just shared like constantly for all this time so um yeah I just think anything that you think we haven't hit in terms of what you wanted to get out of the episode and um yeah anything else that I could do or explain would be fine Mm -hmm. No, I think you've been lovely. I think you've been very vulnerable about your experiences, about how much growth that you've done in the last couple of years, learning to take care of yourself and your inner child and, you know, the hot octopus. I mean, that sounds so exciting. And it sounds like you are such an activist for changing the landscape around these things and such a powerful leader in that way. Yeah, no, thank you so much. Of course. The one closing question that I ask everyone on the podcast is what is one thing that you wish other people knew was more normal? Uh, I I think we're going to go with the whole theme of of everything we've sort of discussed today. Nothing is too much information. That's what I want to normalize. Like a friend, my friends and I spoke about um, having kids and this this works all different kind of ways. It's not just because of kids, but when you have a child, like there's this like feeling that you're supposed to feel, which is like the overwhelming love, like instant thing. And that's like the big like greeting card vibe thing that you're supposed to feel. 
but none of us had that. Like people are scared, people grow into love. People like at the end of the day, me, my friend put it perfectly because she was like, the child, my child was a stranger to me when they were born. And I had to learn them and I had to learn my friends. I had to understand them. And so I think like, I would have never known that that wasn't normal for people to feel unless we all spoke about it just one night over a glass of wine. So I think, you know, when it comes to sex, when it comes to intimacy, relationships, work, like everything you're worried about, just get it out there. Like, I just think if we start doing it and opening up these conversations, one, you'll find out you have so many more people you can relate to. Yeah. Well, also, like, you'll struggle a lot less independently just worrying about, am I normal? Does this work? Do, do I fit with society? Am I broken? Should I feel this? Should I feel that? Like, I find it fascinating. And I think that's what I would love to normalize is just any conversation is fine. <laughs> because these conversations are about our humanness. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, like I said before, I just find it fascinating and helpful and insightful and I think everybody else will feel the same and people can pull away from conversations because of like trauma things like that that's completely understandable but if somebody just finds it plain weird what you're trying to say then it's kind of like more on them than it is on you like go you for sharing that information like and and feeling comfortable and vulnerable and opening up like you should never feel bad for that so yeah I just encourage people to try it more often because like you said when you do that you find other people that have had the same experience and how therapeutic was that conversation with your friends over a glass of wine to know you're not alone yeah definitely and like it's not saying like we don't look like kids now obviously we do right it's plain in that moment when I just became a man for the first time I was scared and I didn't know who the hell the baby was. I was on that many pain drugs and this wasn't a normal situation for me. So it's very okay to just think, fuck, this is wild. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, and some days I don't want to do it. Some days I don't like it. Well, this is another thing about motherhood, isn't it? It's like, I think, all parenthood, I should say. Even my own dad, like I said, I said before about him being like quite competitive and quite you know, high up in business, be successful, blah, blah, blah. He said to me that once, um, you know, you need, you need to decide really between what you're doing with your career and, and, and the kids because, you know, you can't do both. And I was like, well, you did both. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> just because I am a woman <laughs> means I can't do both. Like, I was so confused by that statement and yeah, I don't even know what my point was to begin with, but that's just in itself, like so much pressure as a, as a parent. Yes. And (laughs) I will echo that I am equally confused by that statement. And I think, yeah, it's based in a whole world where that was the expectation, right? We can go back to the earlier part of our conversation of it's only been 50 years since we've changed that world. And so I think that when people see you know, a mother, they think, yeah, of course, that's going to be your whole world, your whole life. So you couldn't do both. But that is not the reality of the world that we are living in anymore. You are going to shoots, you are going to London, and you know who's home with the kids? My partner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that, like, oh my God, I could do, I literally, I could talk to you all day long. But that's another thing as well that's a huge stigma is 
having a stay at home partner. And I don't like, I don't appreciate, appreciate that ever because it's just like, why is that a gendered thing still even now? Like I make our family good money or good enough money and we get it done. He sorts everything out, like from deciding what they need to driving them there to like being that emotional support when I'm not here, like everything that like you know, people when it comes to parenting. And I think there's such a stigma with, well, what does your partner do? And, um, you know, like they must like, what do you pay for things? And like, it's like, we can't have it both ways. Like people have different lives. Just, just deal with it. <laughs> yes. And you know that if that was the other way around, no one would bat an eye. They'd be like, oh, you're a stay at home mom. Yeah. Great. Normal. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I, that's still something that's, yeah, that's got a massive stigma tied to it. But yeah, that's for the time, I guess. <laughs> Hell yes, I know, right? A whole nother conversation. But again, pointing to the multitude of ways that you are being a leader, and I would call that activism, talking about this in a space like that and challenging the status quo around multiple things that need to be challenged, in my opinion. Oh, thank you. No, that's yeah. really and thank you very much. Of course. Yeah, it was lovely to chat with you. Where would you want to plug people to Hot Octopus, all your stuff that you're doing so they can find more and connect with you? Yeah, sure. So Hot Octopus, so on, our sex tech products are on hotoctopus.com. You could find me online at Miss Kelgy, which is M-S-K-E-L-G-E-E, -E -E, but I'll give you the tag for that. My business is with Not For. If anybody wants a representation or advice about being disabled in the workplace or looking for creative freelance opportunities, then they can hit me up. And the web address is withnotfor.co.uk. Great. Oh, it was so lovely to have you today, and I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. It's so lovely to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Yeah. If you enjoyed today's episode, then leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast and head on over to modernanarchypodcast.com to get resources and learn more about all the things we talked about on today's episode. I want to thank you for tuning in and I will see you all next week. <laughs>